Amen, amen, amen. Hey, if you're at home watching, tell me amen. Put it in the chat. Amen. Put you are holy. Talking about God. Welcome to Victory at Home. So glad to have you. We are here with just a couple of people that have been able to register. And in case you've been watching or you haven't been watching and you're wondering what's going on, uh, we actually are in phase one as a church. Where normally we are a church plant. We planted in uh, 2018 of January, January of 2018. And normally we set up right here at Rock Springs Middle School. And because of everything that's been going on, we are in phase one of that. And so we are at a maximum capacity of 25 people. So we've been able to open up just a couple of seats to people who get registered. Let me hear you if you're in the building. Come on, let me hear you. Yeah, I got some people to preach to today. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And hey, of course, so many people are watching online and we're so thankful to have you. I want to shout out to all my circle gatherings this morning. I'm so excited about that. If you are watching, we have uh, different families throughout the, the area of Rutherford County that are meeting in their homes and they're inviting people over to say, hey, let's watch together. Let's worship together. Let's have a little bit of fellowship together. And I want to say hi to you. I'm so excited you're doing that. And hey, if you want to be involved with any one of these, you are interested in being a part of a behind the scenes live recording or you want to be a part of a circle gathering, do us a favor. You can text to connect. You can email us at questions at tnvictory.com. Let us know what you want. We can connect with you and get all of that answered. Yo, I, I'm so excited because we are in a series right now called The Journey. And with this series, what this series is about is, in case you haven't been following along with us, we just kind of decided that as a church in this crazy season, we wanted to go back to the basics, right? We just wanted to go, okay, let's, let's go back to who is Jesus, and just kind of start building that foundation of who Jesus is and really establishing it. And if you weren't with us last week, it was the introduction. And we were in John chapter one, and we talked about Jesus being the Lamb of God. And that whole uh, concept broke open the idea that Jesus is the substitute for our sins and that he sacrificed his life for our sins. And one of the things that I'm really, really excited about, if you haven't seen this yet, go to the website, hit join the journey, check this out. We have uh, graphics on there that walk you through what we call the Romans road to salvation. And so there's actually Paul put kind of these different verses throughout the book of Romans that kind of leads us on how to be saved. And then there's more information on there. Graphics kind of help you walk through the process of accepting Christ in your heart. And so if you've been watching and you've never done that before, maybe you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you don't even know what that means, uh, certainly watch the message, but then go to the website, check out those graphics, look into them, and follow through what they say. It's an incredible thing. That's John chapter 1. Before we jump into John chapter 2 today, I do want to encourage you. I said this last week. I want to say it again. Do me a favor and get a journal. Get a journal. If you can, get a paper Bible. I've been writing all in my Bible. I want you to write in your journal anything that we're talking about, anything that we say throughout the series. Put it down in notes so that you can you know, revisit it years from now. Or if maybe you're trying to explain to somebody who Jesus is down the road, you can pull out your journal and explain all the things we've talked about. So do that. Again, if you, if, if you haven't got your journal yet, do that and go watch last week's. We called it Fill in the Blank. Go watch that message. Write down some of those notes and then get ready to get some information today. I got something good for you today, um, but we're going we're gonna to be in John chapter 2. So if you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. We're kind of doing it by chapter. I can't promise you that we won't break down a chapter or two in multiple Sundays, but certainly right now, uh, last week was John 1, and we really summed John 1 up with Jesus is the Lamb of God. And then and today is John chapter 2, and we're going to jump in at verse 1 and then continue from there. So here we go, John chapter 2. Verse 1 says, starts like this, 
On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in, Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, that's important to read because one of the things we talked about last week is the fact that Jesus is so likable. And this kind of shows you right off the bat that Jesus was not invited to this wedding because he was a celebrity. He wasn't invited to this wedding because he was out performing miracles. At this current moment, he had actually not even performed a miracle. Yet, this is actually famously known as his first miracle. So the reason why Jesus is invited to this wedding is because people liked Jesus, okay? And so we talked last week that Jesus is likable. So him and his mother and his disciples are invited to this wedding Verse three is a pivotal moment. It says, when the wine was gone, right? Everything shifts. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother says to him, hey, they have no more wine. They're out of wine. Now, this was important. Let me kind of explain to you why this was so important. Back then, uh, a wedding fest festival or the festivities of a wedding would have lasted possibly a week, maybe longer. And there was all this planning. And I actually uh, learned this this week. I was telling Darla about it, that the actual concept of an engagement, someone would get engaged potentially around a year before they, get, they would get married. And the purpose of that was for the man to prove that he could provide for his future wife. And so the man would propose and there would be an engagement and he had a year to go and like build a home and get, you know, get money saved up and prepare for the wedding. So this was a big deal because the man was proving to his father-in-law that he could provide. Could you imagine, Rob, if you would have had to prove everything, right, the first year that you could provide for JC? And so that that was a big deal. So now watch this. For the fact, for the wedding to be uh, misplanned or for them to have run out of wine would have shown that the, the groom couldn't provide for his wife, right? So this was a huge deal. There was shame here. There was uh, anxiety involved in this. This was a big deal. It wasn't just like, oh, we don't have any wine. Run down to the local store on the corner. Like this was a big issue. So the wine was gone and Jesus' mother says to Jesus, hey, they have no more wine. This is a lot of people's favorite part. Jesus replied, woman, why do you involve me? Like, what does this have to do with me? Jesus replied. He said, my hour has not yet come. And then his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So you've got over 100 gallons of water that are gathered there to use for what would have been kind of a ritual of purification. So there was this concept of, of man being able to cleanse themselves. So they would have come in and used that water. It was not drinking water, okay? It would have been cleaning water for purification pro, uh, purposes. And there was about 100 gallons of it. Jesus says to the servants, watch this, fill the jars with water. So the jars were starting to be emptied. So go put more of this water in them. And they did. So they filled them to the brim. Now, this was important because Jesus was making sure that the miracle that he was about to perform, you wouldn't have been able to justify it. Here's my point. If you fill the water up, or if you fill the jugs up to the brim with water, you can't say that Jesus just added wine to the water that was there, okay? Because back then, actually, when they served wine at these kind of festivals, they would water it down. The water was not safe to drink. If you drank the wine by itself, you would be drunk, and that would be uh, against you know, their, their policies. And so the idea was that they were serving watered-down wine to begin with. So Jesus says, fill this up to the brim so that nobody can deny the fact that I'm about to do what I'm about to do. So there's a lot in this. And so Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Watch this. He did not realize where it had come from. So Jesus does his first miracle, 
and not even a lot of people even know he did it, right? Like this guy's tasting this and he's like, oh, this is fantastic. He has no idea that he was about to be out of wine to begin with. Jesus does this great miracle and he doesn't even know it happened. Matter of fact, a lot of people in the room don't even know that Jesus did this miracle. And we're gonna talk about that towards the end of the message. Since he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, watch this, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Here was the concept there, that people would invite you in and they would give you the best wine, you would get drunk, and then they would take the best wine out and bring this cheap wine in because you're too drunk to know the difference. And so that was the idea. And this guy's saying, this, nobody does this. Nobody waits till the end to bring out the best wine. This is incredible. He says, you've saved the best till now. And what Jesus did here, and this, this sentence sums up the miracle we just read. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I wanna to talk to you from the subject matter today, Jesus is more than my homeboy. Jesus is more than my homeboy. If you're watching, uh, do me a favor, just put in the chat, more than my homeboy. Darla and I, about three or four years ago, we were out on a vacation, we were out of town, and we had gone into this like t-shirt store. It was just, had all these cool t-shirts, and, and I, I just love creative t-shirts, and so we're walking through and we're reading them. I don't ever buy them, but I just like to read them, and so we're going through and we're reading them, and we get to this one, and there's like this cartoon of Jesus, right, kind of from like the chest up, and he's winking, and he's shooting the gun, right? He's like, you know, Jesus doing that. And, and above his head in really big letters, it says, Jesus. And then right below him, it says, is my homeboy, <laughs> right? And I saw that, and I, and I know some people see that, and they, they get offended, or they think it's, you know, you know uh, uh, it's just a bad deal to do. And that really wasn't my, they think it's sacrilegious was the word I'm looking for. And, and that really wasn't my perception of it, because I understood what they were trying to do. They were, they were trying to market Jesus as likable, right? And, and I get it, right? We, we sing about this all the time, being a friend of Jesus. And, and there's a lot of things happening right now where the goal is to market Jesus as likable. My problem with trying to market Jesus as likable is when you market him as likable, you risk him becoming limitable, right? Like, like the moment I can label Jesus, then I can limit Jesus. See what I mean? And so even though it's a good label, Son of God is a great label. My, my Savior is a great label. But, but sometimes if we're not careful, we will label Jesus. He's my friend. And he is our friend. But in the process of labeling him friend, in our mind, we almost kind of limit him to only being our friend, right? Let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody limit you with a label? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like somebody labels you and whether they meant it or not, when they put that label on you, you all of a sudden felt like they limited you, you know? And if we were honest, a lot of times the labels are good labels, right? I mean, sometimes they're, they're, they're great labels. Like, they're labels that we, we, we are, are excited to be connected to, and we feel honorable to have it. But if we were honest, it just brings some limits. I'll give you an example. Mom, right? That, 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 that's a great label. Every woman who is a mom would say, this is probably one of my favorite labels. There's a lot of, a lot of young ladies out there that, that desire one day to have that label. It's a great label. But if we were honest, that label sometimes can limit us or can limit them. I hear women say all the time, I'm a mom, but I'm not just a mom. 
right? Like I'm a woman who has creative ideas and, and has, you know, entrepreneur and, and I'm, I'm all these different, I have hobbies and I'm not, a mom is one of the things I am, but if we're not careful, all of a sudden that's all I am. And this happens all the time. There are people being labeled right now because of their career and because of what they do, you know, nurse, doctor, police officer, pastor, right? And because of what they do, they, they get a label and then all of a sudden they're limited to that label and it's like that somehow has to be all that they can be. And again, these are great labels, but what happens when they start to limit us? And I think so much is happening in John chapter two in this miracle that we miss because we see, it. oh, you know, Jesus turned water into wine, let's move on. No, no, what I see happening there is I see a miracle where Jesus knew that I have become so likable that if I'm not careful, people will start limiting who I can be. And so something has to change. And watch this. When it comes to this wedding, I think Jesus was invited because he was likable. I think he showed up because he wanted more of him to be revealed, okay? And when it comes to majority of our relationship with Jesus, we invite him in because he's likable, but he shows up because he wants to reveal more of who he is. And this is where we're going. And here's my first point, you ready? Jesus has layers. Jesus has layers. Go back to John chapter two. We're gonna read verses three and five again, and I wanna show you something that we probably skipped over and we missed, okay? It starts with this. When the wine was gone, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And he said, woman, why do you involve me? Now, this is probably one of the most popular preached scriptures by pastors because they love to joke about this. Because we all know what would happen as a son if we told our mom, woman, right? Like, I would lose all my teeth. Like, you know, I would be getting a butt whooping. Like, there's been enough times where I said wrong things to my mom in Target and got embarrassed for it. So I can't even imagine what would happen if, like, my mom asked me something. And I'm like, woman? And she's like, oh, woman, right? I carried you for now. You know, I gave you life. I can take it back. You know, that, the, all those kind of concepts, right? Like, so he says woman. And this is what people, they, they stop here and they go, oh, and people laugh. It's like, oh, it's great. But something so incredible is happening in these verses. Something that if you really pick them apart, you'll see the theology in it and the break, and it's deep, okay? Watch this. What was happening when Jesus called his mother woman is Jesus was referring to her woman it's huge because he's emphasizing, watch this, a development in relationship. Better yet, a shift in the relationship. When Jesus says woman instead of mother, there's a reason he's doing it. He didn't do it out of disrespect. Matter of fact, if you look into that culture, that was not a disrespectful term anyway. He wasn't doing it because he was not paying attention or didn't know who was talking to him. Jesus strategically referred to her as woman because Jesus knew that there was a shift happening in their relationship. Let me explain. For 30 years, Mary has known Jesus as son. That, 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 that's, that's what he's been. That's who he, he was her son when she changed his diapers. He was her son when he got lost in the synagogue. He was her son, you know, when he started getting his first pimple. Like, like all through, he was her son, her son, her son, her son. But in John chapter one last week, when he got baptized, when he was baptized, his ministry began, his public ministry began. And at that point, he became savior. So he was son, but the moment he was baptized by John, he became savior. There's a shift in relationship. And so Jesus knows, I can't call you mom 
because that's no longer our relationship. I was your son a couple of years ago. I'm your savior today. And if I keep calling you mom, then you'll start downplaying the fact that I'm your savior. See what I'm saying? Listen, we're about to go somewhere today. Because if we're not careful, we get into a place of, of calling Jesus our homeboy that we start downplaying the fact that he's our savior. And we can become so comfortable with Jesus that something so miraculous becomes so common. And something so miraculous becomes mundane. And Jesus says there has to be a shift here. I'll give you more. If, if, you're, if you're tuning in with me, thanks for, thanks for watching. I'm going to give you a little bit deeper. Uh, I, I think it's actually, if you look at I think you can actually see some foreshadowing of the relational shift in the conversation. Watch this. She's, she's, she's mommy, right? Mommy, son. And then there's a shift. He says, woman, right? And she says that the wine is gone. You need to do something. So you see a shift right there. She went from son to savior. You need to save us. Savior, save us. We don't have any wine. Save us. Shift in relationship. Then she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you, Lord. Right? So you see, like, there's this, in this conversation, there's kind of, if you look in there, there's a peek into the shift of relationship. Son, Savior, Lord. Just shift here. This is so important for us to catch, and this is what I'm going to talk about today, is our ability to be able to shift in our relationship with Jesus. He is more than just our homeboy. L listen to me. Understand this first, that Jesus is already all that he is, okay? So, so when Jesus is born in the stable, he's already everything that he's going to be, all right? He's already Alpha and Omega. He's already bread of life. He's already the cornerstone. He's already the deliverer. He's already the good shepherd. He's already the Messiah. He's already the true vine. He's already the living water. He's already all these things when he's born. Baby Jesus, wah. He's already the living water. At that moment, he's the Messiah. At that moment, he's everything that he could ever be. When he is a young kid and he's communicating to the, to the ministers and the people in the synagogue, they say he's preaching with such authority. But he's so young. Why? Because he's already everything that he's going to be. He's already that. When, when, when he is uh, flipping tables, right, in the synagogue, or, or when he's on the boat with the disciples, no matter what part of his life that you jump into, he's already everything. He's already the, as at three years old, he's the Alpha and Omega. At seven years old, he's our deliverer. At 13 years old, he's the good shepherd. He's already everything that he's going to be. But watch this. But it's our relational development with him where those characteristics are revealed. Did you catch that? He's already your deliverer, but you don't know him as your deliverer until you have development in your relationship with him, right? He's already the living water, but you do not know that until there is a relational development between you and him. He is already those things, but you don't realize them until you allow your relationship with him to evolve. I was reading an article under uh, Psychology Today was, was the, the, where the article was coming from. And different psychologists were saying that when it comes to relationships, there is something they were calling conscious growth. Conscious growth. And the idea was this, that it, when you are in a relationship for a long period of time, they didn't give an actual period of time, but they said that the relationship will evolve, 
right? So in other words, if you're just going to have a, a quick relationship, if you're just going to you know, hang out with somebody for a small amount of time, then that, that relationship will probably be all that it's actually going to be. That's probably the best they'll ever know of you, the best you'll ever know of them. But if you are going to have a lengthy relationship with somebody, for example, marriage, dating, parenting, best friends, if you're going to have a lengthy relationship with someone, you will find out that in that relationship, you both will have to evolve. There will be some changing. Matter of fact, they say this, that married couples, if they do not learn how to evolve in their relationship over time, they will wake up in the morning beside a stranger because people are changing, right? right? Who you are today is not who you were three years ago, and who you will be three years ago is not who you are today. So if your best friend or your spouse or your kids only know you as who you are today, then three years from now, they're going to be confused on who they're talking to because the relationship has to evolve, Things happen, tragedies happen, blessings happen, changes happen, and it changes who you are, and therefore the relationship has to evolve, and it's the same with Jesus. I'll give you kind of a more practical example for us, especially if you're watching or you're in here and you're a parent. Um, you would know this, that, that when it comes to you and your kid, the relationship evolves. Certainly, the, the parenting aspect is probably normally the, the longest relationship in time frame, right? Like normally that's the longest relationship, parent and kid. Not always, but, but, but normally. And there's so many different changes and stages. Let me give you an example. When, when you start off with your child, you start off in what they call the catering stage, Okay, so that means you're catering to every need that they have. You're, everything that they need, you're doing. You're just, you know, if they need to go somewhere, you have to carry them, right? If they need something, you have to feed them. It's, you're, you're catering them. And then at some point, you, you move into, you evolve into the conforming stage, where now you are shaping them. So you go to doing everything for them to where now you are now shaping them, and you're, you're deciding what their standards are going to be and what their values are going to be, and now, now that relationship is different. Then you go from conforming, watch this, then you go to consulting, Okay, now, no, I actually left one out, sorry. You go to coaching, which now you start to kind of uh, coach people and walk them through. You're kind of like, your kid's doing it, but you're kind of back helping them, right? So you went from hands-on to kind of like, you try bike riding as one of the best examples of this. Like, like you do it, and I'm gonna be here coaching you, but, but, and I'm gonna be here if you fall, but I need you to be able to do it on, on your own, right? So now the stages have evolved. Then you go from coaching to consulting. Now this is when you're more like your kid's friend, and they're coming to you, and they're not so much, you have to let them make their own decisions, so really you're just kind of there as a consultant, and then you get to a point of caring where you're just more in this relationship where you're, they're adults, you're an adult, and it's just beautiful, right, because you're just living, so you see what I mean? The relationship is evolving. Does that make sense? Like, like you can't, watch this, you can't, <laughs> you can't be catering a 42-year-old son, although some are, right? You, you, you can't be coaching a, a daughter who's married with six kids. Like at some point, the relationship has to evolve. And it's the same with Jesus. And watch this. For most people, when it comes to their relationship with Jesus, it has not evolved and it is still on the level of their first impression of Jesus. Think about that. There are people who've been going to church for 30 years and their relationship with Jesus is still on the level of their first impression. Let me give you some impressions. Right off the bat, the Son of God. This is how most people, majority of people, know Jesus. The reason they know Jesus this way is because of the fame of, or the popularity of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Son. 
So people know that, whether because Tim Tebow wore it under his eyes during a football game or whatever the reason is, and people learn that and they go, okay, Jesus is the son. They don't understand it. They could never explain to you the Trinity and all of this process, but they just know that Jesus is God's son. Boom. And that's for most people where the relationship stops. Then you have a, few, a smaller group of people that identify Jesus as Savior. And they understand that what we talked about last week, that Jesus died for their sin, that he was the Lamb of God, that he was the substitute of their sacrifice. And not only do they know he's the Son of God, yes, they know that, but they have evolved to a level where now they know him as Savior. And the relationship's different. There's an emotional connection because he had died for my sins. Then, then, then there's even a fewer group of people that know him as friend, right? Where not only do I know that he's the son of God, not only do I know that he died for my sins, but now I know that I can do life with him and that I can live life with him and I can ask him about certain things that I'm going through. Watch this. And then even a smaller group of people know him as Lord, okay? So, so, so look at the evolving of the relationship. Son of God, surface level. John 3, 16, he's the son of God, we know that. Few more people, savior. Few more people, friend. Few more people, Lord. There is an evolving in their relationship with Jesus. Watch this. And here was, here was the thought process I wanted to put in your mind. And to me, this was a lot, this was pretty deep. That if we don't evolve, if we don't have revelation of who Jesus is, and if we don't evolve in our relationship with Jesus, watch this. We are not a 30-year-old Christian. We are a one-year-old Christian for 30 years. Did you catch that? If our relationship with Jesus is not evolving, then someone who says, well, I've been in church for 15 years. I've been, I, I've been in church for 23 years. But you are not a 23-year-old Christian. You are a baby Christian that has been that for 23 years because the relationship with Jesus has not evolved. And what I want us to understand is that when it comes to who is Jesus, he's the son of God. Yes, but it doesn't stop there. He's my savior. Yes, but it doesn't stop there. He's my homeboy. Kinda. But it doesn't stop there. Like, like there's so much depth in who Jesus is that if we don't understand it and we don't desire it and we don't pursue it and we don't reveal it and uncover it, we will miss out on so much. And we will wonder how we could go to church and not be fulfilled because Jesus didn't say that the church would fulfill you. He said he would. But yet we only know him as the banner, the logo of the church. And we are more familiar with how church works than we are with the identity and revelation of who Jesus is. And that's the problem. Because the reason why we said last week that people are running away from the church so quickly is because, watch this, they do not fully know who Jesus is. Because it's really easy to walk away from an organization. It's really hard to walk away from a 30-year-old relationship. Right? So, with all that being said, how do we do it? How do I get to this point of revelation of who Jesus is. Number one, that's what this series is about. I mentioned to you that we were probably gonna do this series for at least 21 weeks because I'm pretty sure that's how many chapters are in the book of John, at least, because I can't guarantee that we're not gonna have to break down a chapter or two over multiple Sundays. But it's important for you to understand, and here's why it's important for you to understand this series and the importance of this series and the importance of the book of John. 
When we were reading chapter two, John said this. John said that Jesus, this was, one, this was the first of signs that Jesus would do to reveal his glory. Do you remember us saying that? That this, this was the first of one of the miracles that Jesus would do to reveal his glory. Now, now follow with me here. So Jesus is doing miracles that reveal his glory. That's important. That if we look into the miracles that Jesus did, we will have revealed to us who Jesus is. And John is saying that the water being turned into wine is one, I believe there's seven or eight in the book of John, I think seven, maybe eight, that, that he does to reveal who he is. Okay, now here's why this is even more important. In John chapter 21, John says this, that Jesus did so many miracles that if we were to take them and record every one of them into a book, there would not be enough room in the world to house the books. Wow, right? Jesus did so many miracles that if we were to record them, it would, it would be more than the Harry Potter series. You know what I mean? Like there would be more books we wouldn't even be able to contain them. So now, hear what I'm saying. So John says that Jesus did so many miracles that you couldn't record them all. But yet he chose to record some of them. And what he recorded went into 21 chapters of his book, and he believes that those stories are the best material for you and I to know Jesus. This is why we have to read the book of John. We have to find out who is Jesus. We have to have that relationship evolve. We have to, and we have to do it by reading the book of John, chapter by chapter. Jesus, what is this? What does that mean? John, why? Why, why was the first miracle turning water into wine? Better yet, I got a better question for you. Why was his first miracle not so public? Even the master of the banquet didn't know he did it. We talked last week, I, thought this, I don't know if y'all enjoyed this or not, but the idea that he gets ready to introduce Jesus, and it's like, get ready, and dear Lamb of God, right? Like you expect, like, you know, master of the universe. So, so his introduction in our eyes, of course, we broke that down to why it was huge, but at first it's like, eh. Now his first miracle is this great moment that really blessed like six people. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused on this. But then I started reading something in John chapter 2 that, that really opened up my eyes to this. But before we go to that, I want to ask you a question. All right? For everybody who's watching this and everybody who's tuning in, everybody who's here, and the idea is we are going after Jesus. We are revealing Jesus. Oh, here's my question. Before we reveal any more of Jesus, why do you want to evolve the relationship with him? Why? Better way to ask the question, why do you believe? Right? Like, like if we're here to get to understand more of who Jesus is, then ultimately the question you better have figured out first is why do you even want to know? Because if he's just some great teacher, there's more than enough great teachers out there that we can study, Right? If he's just a really encouraging person, then there's so many more encouragers out there. I think Tony Robbins or Ribbons or one of that. He's a great encourager, right? Let's just go read all of his books. If Jesus was just this phenomenal leader, there's so many great leaders out there that we can follow. And why Jesus? Why, why do we believe? Why do we want to know more about Jesus Christ? Why do we want to evolve a relationship with somebody named Jesus? Why do we believe. 
And the reason I came to that question was because of what it said in John chapter two, verse 11. I've read this a lot of times, but this was one of the first times where this really jumped out to me, okay? So watch this, John chapter two, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. We already read that. This was one of the signs Jesus was gonna do to reveal his glory. Great, look at the next couple of words. And his disciples believed in him. Wait a minute. Wouldn't that be backwards? His, when you call him his disciples, that makes me think they already believe in him, right? They followed him. It said Jesus and his disciples were invited. So I'm getting really confused by this because it looks like Jesus did this miracle so that the disciples would believe. Now listen, here's what I felt the Spirit of God tell me. Jesus knew that the disciples were going to need more to be able to have this passion and desire for the relationship to evolve, right? Jesus knew what he was about to ask them to do. He knew what he was gonna ask them not to do. He knew the fact that he was gonna leave them. Jesus knew all that was about to happen. So when it came to the disciples, he couldn't just be the son of God. He couldn't just be a homeboy. See what I'm talking about? Like this would have, the disciples would have never done what they did if they only knew Jesus as homeboy. It would have stopped right there. Jesus knew I've got to develop this relationship with them. This relationship has to evolve. Something has to happen that shifts us from mommy to woman. Something has to happen in this relationship that shifts so that when persecution comes, they stand up. So that when hard decisions come, they stand up. So that when responsibility comes, they stand up. Something has to happen. Listen to me. How come Christians today are not answering responsibility or handling persecution well? It's because the relationship never evolved. It never evolved. They still know him as homeboy. And you will not be persecuted for your homeboy. You will not be, you will not step up and do hard responsibility on your own for your homeboy. So Jesus said, something's got to change. I have to evolve. So Jesus did a miracle. He did something so crazy he made sure the water was filled to the brim. He did everything he could do. He didn't care if the master of banquet knew he did it. I'm not doing it for him. I don't, he doesn't even know. I don't care. Just make sure the disciples know. Just make sure they understand that that's filled with water and that there's no wine and it's gone and let them know that I'm about to do something. Because here's the truth, you ready? Most of us find ourselves in one of three categories. Number one category is this. You believe, but you wonder. I believe in Jesus but I wonder why he did that, right? Like, I believe in God, but I wonder what, what does the Trinity actually mean? I don't, I don't, I don't. Like, like we believe, but we wonder. That, that, that's one category. Category number two is you wonder how anybody could believe, right? Like, I don't, I don't get it. How are these people, this worshiping they're doing and, and, and all these rules that they have to follow? What, what's, I, I, I wonder how people could really believe, especially in 2020 where our truth is our truth, right? Like, how, how could they believe? Third category is this. You wonder if you'll ever be able to believe again because at some point you experienced church or religion, something didn't go quite the way you thought it was going to go or your questions weren't answered or the education didn't come across and now you wonder if you'll ever believe again, right? 
This is so powerful. Please follow with me on this. Jesus understands that if the disciples' relationship with him is going to evolve, something miraculous has to happen to make that work. So therefore, we have the first miracle, water into wine. Fast forward to 2020, and here we are as Christians, and God is saying that our relationship with Jesus has to evolve. And Jesus understands that if that's going to happen, something miraculous has to happen. So what do we do? We go, Jesus, if you would, right? If you'll do this, then I'll believe. But here's what's so cool about Jesus is that Jesus already put in place the very miracle that's supposed to give us the confidence in an evolving relationship. Can I show you? Do you remember how John chapter two, verse one started with this miracle? On the third day. Now help me out. There was another miracle Jesus did that happened on the third day. Anybody remember what that one was? It's kind of like, I don't know, it had something to do with a cross and like a grave. And like he died. And then he, he oh, the resurrection. Right? So, so if last week you were watching and you wrote in your notes, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Here it is today. You ready? Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is, this is so incredible to think about. John's going to take us for 21 chapters introducing us with Jesus, but he makes sure that the first one's about salvation and the second one's about resurrection. Why? Because it's the bookends. Because he died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and experience heaven, but he resurrected so that we could evolve in our relationship with him and live life to the fullest. He did a miracle for them then, and he's already done a miracle for us now. But watch this. The more we see Jesus as our homeboy, the more we downplay the resurrection. Right? Andy Stanley is a pastor that I like to listen to a lot. He said it like this. I thought it was pretty profound. He said that if somebody tells you that they are going to die and then resurrect and they do it, you do what, I, what else they say, right? Right? Like, like I mean, I mean for, for just a moment, walk with me for a moment because we've downplayed this resurrection thing. It, it, it's the Easter. It, it, oh, we're going to talk about that at Easter. It's the resurrection. This man died. He died. And look, I have done so much studying. If you want quick study, go watch the movie Case for Christ or read the book Case for Christ. There's so much evidence of the fact that, yes, Jesus was dead. You walk through the crucifixion in a way that he had to pull himself up to breathe, the stabbing into his side that revealed water and blood, showing that he, there's so, many, so much evidence that proved he was dead. Have you ever had someone die in your life and went to bed going, I wonder if they're going to get up tomorrow? We don't. The fact that Jesus died and then resurrected from the grave is a miracle. But when we are just Jesus is just our friend, then we downplay the resurrection. I even wondered about this. Like, I wonder how many of us even really believe in the resurrection. 
to where if somebody was to actually challenge us, we would just go, oh, you're right. I don't even know if it's true or not. And that's something I'm gonna do this week in our study sheet is I'm gonna really give some more clarity and evidence of to where we can put our support in the resurrection. But I'll give you just a couple of thoughts that I think are really good thoughts. One of the arguments against the resurrection is that the disciples faked it all, that they stole Jesus's body and it was all, a, you know, all a joke. But obviously the evidence that goes against that is then every one of these disciples gave their life brutally in death for the calling of Jesus. So if you knew it was all a lie, matter of fact, you knew it was a lie you started, you're not gonna die for it, especially not a painful death. Uh, another thought pattern that I think is really fun to go through is uh, James, the brother of Jesus. Think about this. He died claiming that Jesus is the son of God, resurrected. Do you know what it would take for one of my kids to claim that their sibling was God? You know what I'm talking about? Like, that would never happen. They'd be like, you ain't God. You know what I mean? Like, they would never have. So that was a miracle in itself. There's so much evidence to the resurrection being real. And so walk with me for a second. Yes, Jesus is our friend. Yes, Jesus is our savior. Yes, Jesus is our homeboy. But Jesus is the resurrection. And do you know what it means when you say Jesus is the resurrection? It means if you believe in the resurrection and the resurrection is true, then all of the rest of it is true. We live in a day in 2020 where no longer can you say the Bible says so. People don't, that doesn't work anymore, which is terrible. But you know what I love about Christian faith is that our faith is not built on the Bible alone. It's built on the resurrection of Jesus. And if you take the Bible away, the resurrection of Jesus is still proven to be real. And if Jesus really resurrected, then he really is the son of God then there really is a God and there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and I should do more than just call him my friend. He should be my Lord. I should follow him. I should read what he says and I should do it because he's not just my friend, but he's the resurrected son of God. The only way that you and I can ever evolve from homeboy to Lord is to fully understand and believe that he is not just a sacrifice for your sins, but he is your Lord and your Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the miracle-working Messiah. He's everything and anything. Heaven is real. Hell is real. God is real. And Jesus is the Son of God, Word made flesh, sent down here to become the Lamb of God, to be sacrificed for our sins. And what I love about the story of Jesus is it doesn't just stop there. He didn't just die for our sins. He resurrected. And now he's our Lord. And so that relationship has to continue to evolve and so I want to challenge you this morning. Look, where we're going over the next, gosh, 11, 20 weeks, however long it's going to be, get in tune, buckle up, get your journal, get your notes. We are not just talking about your homeboy. We are talking about the Lord, the Son of God, the resurrected King.
feel like the relationship changes there. And our commitment changes there. Because watch this. When someone wonders why you would go to church, why you would read your Bible, why you would pray, better than that, why you would do what the Bible says, it's not because you're a Christian. Don't ever say that again. It's because I'm a Christian. Not because you're a Christian. It's because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for your sins and that he resurrected. That's the reason I do what the Bible says. It's not because I want to be better than somebody. It's not because I don't want to enjoy some of the sins of the world. I'm a sinner too. The reason why my relationship continues to evolve is because I truly believe that when all this is said and done, I'm going to go to heaven and it's going to be because of my Lord, not because of my homeboy. And I think where we're going moving forward is a relationship that's going to evolve out of just Savior and into Lord. And for you to be able to do that, you've got to believe that he died and resurrected and is the Son of God. I'll leave you with this quote from C.S. Lewis that I just think sums this whole message up. Christianity, the resurrection, Jesus, if false, if the resurrection didn't happen, if Christianity and Jesus isn't true, it's of no importance. That's powerful. Paul says this. We'll talk about it later on. He says, if if the resurrection isn't real, then our faith is a waste. Because our faith is not built on a book. It's built on the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. So if the resurrection isn't true, then, then it's of no importance at all. Why are we here? Let's all go somewhere. Let's go get a burger. Why are we here? We're here because we believe Jesus Christ died and resurrected, right? So I love that. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if it's true, it's of infinite importance. It's the most important thing in your life, if it's true. And then this part right here was my favorite part. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Gosh, it's so good. You can either believe Jesus was a lunatic or you can believe Jesus was the son of God. What you can't do is just be in the middle thinking that he's this guy who's there for you when you need him. It can't be a moderate, moderate importance, right? He's the son of God. He's the resurrected king. He's my savior. And he's my Lord. And the moment that that relationship evolves from homeboy to Lord, the concept of you are holy changes, right? It shifts. You are holy. Why are you holy? Because you resurrected. Because you are God. Because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are greater above all things. 
You're not a curriculum. You're not a ministry. You're not even a denomination. You're the son of God. Father, we thank you right now for your word. I thank you that we are going back. Lord, we're building that foundation. We learned last week that you are our savior, that you died for our sins. I, I do think that's, that's the whole message. That's the gospel. But the gospel is incomplete without the resurrection. And so we celebrate today that you are that. You are the resurrection, King of kings, Lord of lords. And Father, just for me personally, I can't speak for anybody watching or anybody in this present in this place right now, but I want to evolve in my relationship with you. I love that you're my Savior. I know that you're the Son of God. But I want you to be my Lord. the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so, Father, I pray for myself and I pray for everybody that throughout this journey, we would have a new revelation of who you are. And that we would understand that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever but it's up to us when it comes to the relational development. And that the more we would read your word and the more we would pray, the more we would chase after you, the more you'd reveal yourself. Lord, this is the theme of your Bible. That if we will knock, you'll answer. That if we'll search, we will find. So Father, I pray for a relationship that is evolving and growing and changing and developing and maturing. And that everybody that's watching and listening right now would be able to say, yes, you are my savior, but I want you to be my Lord. So Father, we worship you right now. You are holy. Come on, say it. You are holy. Holy.